Red Rocks Church, how we doing? You guys good? I feel something, man. I do. I hope you're feeling as good as me. I have been so expectant and so excited for this message today. And uh, like for real, not just because you're supposed to say that. I feel like my heart rate has been up and I have just felt the presence of God in my life today. And I hope that you have too. I know this room right now is filled with sanitized, very sanitized and spaced out people here to record this service, but I promise you nobody is here for a service recording. We are here to experience and encounter the living God, amen? We just happen to be filming it. And you're not just watching a church service from home. You truly have the opportunity to experience and encounter the living God. And that's our word today, the word experience. And I'm, I'm going to throw that your way. I'm getting that from the Greek word gnosko that Paul used all the time. It's this word that means to come to know something by experiencing it. So not just by understanding it, but Paul said, if you could just know by experiencing this love of God that is an ocean and how wide it is and high it is and far it is and deep it is, not just intellectually in a way that makes you smarter, but personally and experientially in a way that makes you free and more like Jesus. Amen. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is here today. And so listen today with more than just ears, not just with, with words, but the kingdom of, here, of heaven is here. It's within you, it surrounds you. It is closer than the very oxygen you are breathing in. You can shift the atmosphere in your home with your very faith that is in you. And the love of God that is an ocean surrounds you. And so don't you dare observe it from the shore you jump in and experience it. And so God, would you show us each individually how to experience more of your presence today, God? On purpose, we pursue you. On purpose, we lead our feet to you and we incline our, our hearts and our postures to heaven and we, we fix our eyes on things that we cannot see. On purpose, we block out distractions and take negative and ancient, ancient thoughts captive in the name of Jesus because you've given us authority to do that and we on purpose just get present with every breath. A miracle can happen now. The spirit of the Lord is here and in this place. Jesus, would you be made famous? God, would this be more than just a, a speech about the Bible and Christian karaoke? We did not come here to mess around and do church. We are here to encounter and experience you. So do what a song and a sermon cannot do and transform people from the inside out. May nobody walk away from this unchanged. Change us for the better. We give you permission. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You guys can take a seat. Take a seat. By the way, uh, my wife and I are pregnant. I'll just throw that out there. Thank you. I, 
I did so much. I did so much. I really did. By that, I mean my wife is pregnant. I don't know why men just like insist on kind of taking credit. We do so little in the process. It's pathetic. And I'll, I'll stop there before I get in trouble. But uh, women, y'all are amazing. That's all I'm trying to say. You guys are amazing. And at home right now, I have a soon-to-be two-year-old and a wife who loves Disney, which means Moana is on our TV all the time. We're just a beach family. And recently, and this is not a joke, okay? This is completely serious. Like God has been preaching to me through Moana. See the line where the sky meets the sea, it, it calls me, and no one knows how far it goes. No one knows how far it goes. God's love is an ocean, church. And just when you think you've experienced all of the God that there is to experience, I promise you, you are no more than just about 100 feet from shore. Nobody knows how far God goes. And no matter how much of him you have, there will always be more of God to experience. There will always be more of him to know in your life. We should constantly be having this sort of holy discontentment that knows his love is an ocean. And if God is an infinite ocean and well of, of life to experience and vitality to be had in peace and joy and happiness and righteousness and life, then I should never be fully content with how much of him I have. And I will press on to take hold of it. Jesus did not come to start a religion, amen. He came so that he could make a way for you to just keep swimming and swimming and swimming into the more of God that there is for you. And so do not miss it, church. Do not miss it. I hope that you're experiencing something at home. I, I, I know you are here on a good day. This is week three of a three-week series that we are calling Echoes of Eden. And what we've been doing is going back to the very beginning, back to Eden, to try and answer some of life's biggest, deepest questions that we believe are found in the Echoes of Eden. Echoes that echo all the way forward to 2020. And so here's what I want to show you. Heaven and earth, once upon a time, in the beginning, back at the very beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Not as two separate and different places, but rather two dimensions occupying the same space, if that makes sense. Truly, Eden was quite literally heaven on earth. God and humanity complete shalom, naked and unashamed in every way, paradise and perfection, no sin, no separation, no shame, until what Ronnie talked about last week, Genesis 3, 6, and 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who, by the way, was with her. So we give Eve a hard time for eating the apple. If it was an apple, I'm not sure. But she ate it first. But Adam was with her the entire time. I read that. I'm like, what was that fool doing? Was, like, was he the original bird watcher? While his, while his wife is being deceived by the enemy, like he's just birding? Like it's another sermon for another day. Don't get me started. But Adam was there, that's all I'm saying. And they, they ate it, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And in one moment, not through a magical apple, but through a decision caused by deception, sin enters the world, 
and the DNA, the perfect DNA of the universe fractures. And this picture perfect harmony splinters. And because a holy God cannot dwell in the same space as sin, these two dimensions are driven apart from each other. And so given everything that's going on right now in the world and in 2020, I thought we would take some time, the next 20, 25 minutes or so, and I want to do my very best to give you guys a template and some tools to answer this question. Are you ready? Here's the question. What in the world is going on here? I don't know if you turn on the news or you look at your life or look at the world and if you've ever asked that question, like, I thought, I thought the kingdom of heaven was here. Like, God, I thought you were good. Like, why is there evil and so much pain? Like, what in the world is going on here? That's what we're going to try to answer. And we believe the answer is found in the echoes of Eden. And so, Jesus, help us to see with more than just our eyes and hear with more than just our ears. You have our attention Speak to us because we're listening in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. That was beautiful, Scott. So good every time. Will you come back in 20? Maybe 18? Don't go far. I love you. Have you noticed every movie is the same? That's a bold statement. It's a bold statement, and you're looking at the biggest movie buff there is, okay? But I'm telling you, every movie is the same movie. They are either one of three stories, okay? Every movie is either a story of sacrifice or a story of unbreakable love or a story of good triumphing over evil. And there's a reason for that. And it's because these are the stories our hearts were made for. I would, I would argue those themes are echoes of Eden. And so I'll explain it this way. Spoiler alert, just be ready. But there's a reason at the end of Avengers Endgame, when Tony Stark sacrifices himself by snapping his fingers and saving the entire universe, that you get so fired up and you secretly imagine yourself as Tony Stark in that moment. You know you do. It's not just me. Ronnie, you might imagine you're Thor. I know. You're just a better looking, more handsome, muscular Chris Hemsworth is what you are. We all do that. We all do that. And the reason our hearts beat faster when watching stories of sacrifice is because there's a God who made you in his image who left heaven to sacrifice everything for you. Sacrifice. Or how about stories of unbreakable love? Every rom-com... That's the slang, cool way of saying romantic comedy. Every chick flick is the exact same story, and do not email me or argue with me, okay? But here's the thing. We want it that way, guys. Give me the same story. Oh, there's this guy. There's this girl. There's this meat cute. There's butterflies. Could they be perfect for each other? Oh, this is so magical. I think it's true love. But wait, there's this, there's this secret, and he can't tell her, even though he's a really good guy as the audience, we know that, but he's afraid of being misunderstood, and you're like, just tell her, bro. And finally, like, literally the day that he's on his way to her house to tell her, she finds out in another way, and then there's just like this, this conflict, and you're like, no, it's a misunderstanding. Like, he's a good guy. And just when you think, surely all is lost, he hops on his motorcycle and chases down her taxi on the Brooklyn Bridge, and wouldn't you know it, true love wins again in the end. Not that I've seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Not that I've seen it. 
to quote another movie, so it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really, really hard, and we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. See, unbreakable love. I wrote you 365 letters. What? I wrote you every day for a year. You wrote me? Yes. It wasn't over. It still isn't over. Bam. Epic kiss on a dock by a lake because nothing's going to stop a love that unbreakable. Not even pouring rain. Not even. Not that I've seen the notebook. You love stories of unbreakable love because your heart was designed to be loved by a God whose love never fails. Echoes of Eden. Or how about good triumphing over evil? Like it's why you pretend you're Maximus at the end of Gladiator killing the emperor, right? That's not dark. That is good conquering evil. There's a reason you cheer when the patriots lose. There is a very real evil. And in the end, good will always conquer it. Church, have you ever wondered why these stories strike chords deep in our souls? Well, they describe the God who made you in his image and the fact that right now you are sitting right smack in the middle of the greatest story of sacrifice and unbreakable love and good conquering evil that the universe will ever know about. And it's not a movie. It's actually real. And the conflict of the whole thing began in a garden at a fruit tree, at a fruit tree. So to quote Tim Mackey, we now have two different spaces, God's space or heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the age to come. Jesus calls it all these names. Is full of good and peace and shalom and justice and beauty. And then we have the human dimension or earth, the kingdom of this world, and it's full of, of sin. It's marked by, by shame. It's marked by, by injustice and and by the way, that's why everything that's good about life, even the common graces experienced by people who don't even believe in God, is only possible because God gives it. He is that awesome. And so to oversimplify everything on purpose, the story of the entire Bible is basically God bringing these two dimensions back together, okay? And so I'm going to get teachy. In the Old Testament, here's what that looked like. Heaven overlapped with earth in the temple or the tabernacle, but not perfectly, only, only really partially. And the only reason that was possible was because of something called the sacrificial system, which you've heard of. And so think with me, the wages of sin is, is death. So by spilling the blood and, 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 and uh, killing or removing the life of some animal... It would, it would kind of, sort of absorb like just enough sin so that you could kind of, sort of be clean enough to enter the temple and be in God's presence until you sinned again. So I'm like, okay, so like a few minutes in the temple if you're me. And so it's not, it's not perfect. And I know what you're thinking a horrible and cruel and like this barbaric system, right? But actually the sacrificial system was a system of grace 
because it was God's way. That shows you how serious God is about uniting these two dimensions once again, how serious he is about being with his kids, how much he wants to get heaven to earth. And if you want to know how serious God takes that, and by the way, how serious God is about sin and salvation, look no further than the cruelty of the sacrificial system and, by the way, the brutality of the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. This was the final sacrifice, by the way, that perfectly and permanently bridged the gap between heaven and earth. Make no mistake, when Jesus took his final breath, the moment the earth started shaking and the sky turned black, the curtain over at the temple that was keeping the presence of God from the world because of sin, it tore in two because in that moment, sin was simply no longer a problem for God. Jesus absorbed as a perfect sacrifice 100% of it. And so I'm not sure who this is for. Your sin is simply no longer a problem for God. I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. I don't have to because I know this story. I know who my Jesus is and I know you're not better at messing up than he is at fixing the problem. You cannot, on your best day of screwing up and falling short, create some kind of barrier between you and the God of the universe. You cannot push apart these two dimensions that he has permanently bridged in your life. He solved the problem, church. He conquered it. Jesus paid it all. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And that story helps you make more sense of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. If animal blood or any other rituals or of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, so kind of, sort of doing the trick, then think how much more the perfect blood of Jesus Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Church, he was the perfect son of God who lived the perfect life to die at the perfect moment as a perfect sacrifice in order to perfect some very imperfect people, proving that good triumphs over evil in a story of sacrifice and unbreakable love in every movie that you've ever watched or book you've ever read or story that's ever been told is simply a beautiful shadow and expression of this story. And what you believe about this story and this event is the most important thing about you. You know, sometimes I, I ask questions like, I don't know if I would do it that way, God. <laughs> like if I were you, just being honest that way, like a, a sacrificial system, what? I'll be honest. I don't know if I would put a fruit tree in the garden in the first place. I'm like, okay, I know the only way for true love to actually be possible is if there's free will because true love is actually a decision, not a feeling, which requires not just the ability to choose, but options to choose from. But even, okay, that said, think of all the pain and suffering and evil that has come because of free will. I go, God, that's so risky. <laughs> I don't think I'd put a tree in the garden. But I'd also never sacrifice my son for you. Not on his worst day. Not on, his, not on your best day. Apparently for the God in this story, love is worth the risk. The eternal good 
is worth the temporary bad and you are worth his pain. And this is why right here, Christianity is a relationship and not a religion because while religion says do, Jesus says done. Which means you and I now live in in an era, by the way, where dead messiahs stand up and walk out of their tombs. And so what does that mean? Because it is very significant and this sermon is leading to this moment right here. What does it mean? This reality, the fact that heaven and earth have been permanently bridged and connected once again. So the kingdom of heaven is here, but where is it? Like I'm looking around, (laughs) where is it? What does it look like? Luke 17, 20 and 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus the same question. When will the kingdom of God come? Where is it? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but catch this, not yet in its entirety, okay? So there's a fancy theological phrase that explains this called inaugurated eschatology. Only memorize that if you want to sound smart this week and just casually drop it in a conversation at some point. Oh, yeah, A lot of inaugurated eschatology going on around here, man. It simply just means already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. And so here's how I will explain it. What day was it? June 6, 1944. Who knows what happened? D-Day. That was D-Day. And that's the day that most historians would argue World War II was won on that day. June 6, 1944. But if you know your history, you know that World War II did not officially end until May 8th of 1945. And so for 11 months, what do you have? The war was already won, but the whole thing was not officially over until May 8th of 1945. And so take that framework and apply it to this. The moment Jesus said it is finished on the cross and surrendered his spirit and the sky went black and the earth shook and the the veil was torn in two, the war against evil and death was officially won. Make no mistake. And the kingdom of heaven is now in our midst, but it will not fully in its entirety be completely here until one day when Jesus splits the sky in half and comes back, but this time not as a baby in a manger, but as the king of kings and Lord of lords to once and for all restore everything and make everything new. And that could happen tomorrow. It could happen before this Service is over, but right now, the space you and I live in, the era we live in is called the already, but not yet. And so if you think there's two narratives sort of happening in our world, you're actually, you're right about that. So number one, if you sense like the kingdom of heaven is like, is getting stronger and advancing and taking ground, that's because it is. Like there's a reason you can sense in worship when we're all gathered together and singing the songs about a million angels falling face down on the floor and all echoing, holy is the Lord. And there's moments while we're singing where I'm like, I feel like I can genuinely like almost hear them. And actually it's because the veil separating heaven and earth is thinning and worship speeds up that process, right? 
Like when you're in the mountains, when you're at the ocean, or I think of like the peace of the golden hour or sunset or, you know, with your friends out at a good dinner or laughing with your kids, it's, it's a thin veil. It's heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. These are the echoes of Eden that we sense in our spirits. And at the same time, you turn on the news You go on social media, dear Lord, and you're like, well, the world's also, I feel like it's getting worse, man. I mean, don't you? Like, like more and more chaotic, it seems, every week, like the sweater's unraveling, and that's because this world, as we know it, is also passing away. The old is passing away. Right now, it is labor pains before the baby's here. And that's Romans 8. I can back that up. It talks about all of creation groaning, the rocks even, cry out in silence, wanting Jesus just to come back and and, and be done with this time in between, this already but not yet. Like, Jesus, can you just, it's almost like creation itself remembers what it was like before the fall. And it's like groaning to get back to it. And by the way, you have that same thing in your spirit right now. You, you somehow sense Eden again. You hear and feel these echoes of Eden. And you know there's more for you. You know it shouldn't be this difficult. You know you should feel more whole. You know it should be easier to receive unconditional love. Like you know there's more. And I'm telling you, you're sensing echoes from Eden, but not the one behind you. The one in front of us, pulling us forward. This is the space between the already but not yet. I'll give you an example. I watched a woman a few years ago who had been blind for 10 years, 10 years, get her sight back, literally, in one prayer. Why? Well, the kingdom of heaven is here. I've had chronic pain for 10 years. I've had a 1,000 people all over the world pray for me so far. Nothing. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is not yet fully here. Miracles happen. Love happens. Justice happens. Friendships happen. But bad things also happen. If you've ever asked that question, like, why do bad things happen? Evil, injustice, anxiety, depression, job loss, poverty, hunger. Why? Because the kingdom of God is already but not Yet. And so, what in the world is going on here? This is exactly what is going on here. Church, his kingdom is advancing. Your kingdom come, your will be done as a process we are in right now in Denver, in Austin, in Brussels, in the world as it is in heaven. Here's an NT Wright quote Jesus' resurrection is the beginning. It is the beginning of God's new project, catch this, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Isn't that good? That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. And this church is where where we come in. 
Jesus, through churches much like ours, is dragging the age to come, heaven, the kingdom of God. He is dragging it into the present. And if you follow this, you know God is no longer in buildings anymore. Once upon a time, he was in temples, in tabernacles. Now he dwells within his people, which is why one day when you walk back into one of our Red Rocks buildings, you're not going to be showing up to the presence of God. You will be showing up with the presence of God. And by the way, that's why church is so much better when you're there because you bring heaven with you. And you and I right now are little pockets of heaven. If you're feeling like epic movie-ish, you could call it behind enemy lines right now. Little pockets of heaven. Wherever you go, there heaven is. Just like Jesus came to make an invisible God visible, the church's job is to make an invisible kingdom visible. That's our job, partnering with God and dragging the age to come into the present age, which means, and catch this, what we do now matters. It really matters. Like we really got to do away with this whole evacuation theology that a lot of us think that the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. And so I'll just, man, I'll kick back and relax and Jesus will evacuate me and then blow up the whole thing. The only problem with that is the Bible. Jesus is refining it. It's this earth, this earth, our mission statement as a church, making heaven more crowded, but that's not just there and then. It is also here and now. And so what are you doing right now to make an invisible kingdom visible? Do you leverage what you've been given to help others? Are you generous with your time, your talents, your treasure? Right now in this pandemic season, is your home a front porch for prodigals in your neighborhood? This is your home right now, a front porch, a pocket of heaven for your neighbors to experience the kingdom of God. You are making the invisible visible for your next door neighbors. Are you, are you stewarding your spirit and your mind and your body and the opportunities in your life? Church, what we do now matters. I'll say this way, how you participate in racial reconciliation matters. It matters right now. Not just the evil things you don't do, but the things you do say, the prayers you do pray, and right now, right now, the tears you do cry. The tears you do. I I know this whole process of racial reconciliation right now is so heavy. It is so emotional, but I'm, I'm just having, if I can get honest, I'm having a really hard time Understanding this unwillingness, it seems, of Christians just to mourn with those who have been mourning for so long. <laughs> what, what keeps us just from crying right now? I feel like healing and reconciliation sort of has an order to it. If you think about it, if, if your body is hemorrhaging, first things first, All the blood in your body is going to rush to the hemorrhage and feel it and then heal it. If the body of Christ has a hemorrhage, first things first, church, we rush to the hemorrhage and we feel it 
We'll get around to healing it, all the yeah buts. And by the way, even the very valid yeah buts, we'll get to it. But what's keeping us just from crying tears with the community of African-Americans who have been in pain for centuries? Like, we'll get to the solution. Trust me, I'm Mr. Fix-It. To my wife, especially, like husbands, amen from anybody. Like, don't leave me hanging here. Like, she'll come to me, like, in tears, in pain, and explain the situation, and I will very clearly see the reasons it happened and the way to fix it. And the mistake I make is telling her that. (laughs) She's like, babe, we'll get to the solution. I need you to feel with me. I need you to cry with me. I need you to hear me. I need you, I need you to see me. Like every time I've gotten in my car for the past month, I've just like cried. Like, God, why is this, why is this a not yet thing? Why can't this be an already thing? Church, never be afraid to get broken. This is the language of lament, and I'm telling you, it is attractive to the kingdom of heaven. We're really good in the church of the celebration and the victorious side of Christianity, and of course, we should be. The gospel is the victorious good news. And with every breath, church, we got reason to celebrate. But man, there's times, and this is one of them, where the language of lament is kingdom language that draws it in. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of heaven. Humility, lowliness, surrender, brokenness. The kingdom floods to those things, church. They pull it into the present. New earth. New earth. The new heavens and new earth. Eden, catch this, but as a city. This world, by the way, where once again, there will be harmony, peace, and justice for every single one of God's children. Revelation 7, 9, a little glimpse into new earth and what we have waiting for us. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is my son's favorite book. We read it every night. Go, dog, go. The whole premise, it's a brilliant, brilliant story. The whole premise, the dogs, the go, dog, goes. The the, the dogs the whole time are trying to get to this tree and they get to this tree and they climb a ladder up to the top of the tree and then the book says, up, up, up the tree, up the tree. What are they doing at the top of the tree? Nobody knows. And then you turn the page and it says, it's a dog party, a big dog party, big dogs, little dogs, red dogs, blue dogs, yellow dogs, green dogs, black dogs, and white dogs are all at a dog party. What a dog party. And this is my son's favorite book and he laughs and cheers every single time we get to that page. And for me, I'm like, I I only see New Earth now (laughs) when I read that, man. Every color, one big party and celebration, all of our differences being celebrated in the same room along with our one common denominator, the Imago Dei and our need for grace, the only reason that we're here in the first place for the rest of eternity on New Earth celebrating and doing life together. And by the way, it's going to be amazing. And I just want to set this up for you because there's something called aronophobia, which is the fear of heaven. 
which I've actually had for a long time when you're under the impression that heaven is like this ethereal, detached place where there's chubby babies playing harps on fluffy clouds and we are, we are these orbs and spirits bumping into each other and singing how great is our God for 10 billion years and it's like we haven't even started yet and please don't be offended. I'm like, that sounds like the other place to me. That is not new earth, you guys. You have no idea what we have to look forward to. Imagine this earth, refined, perfect, shalom, paradise, no tears, no mourning, no pain, no secrets or jealousy or need to prove yourself or achieve and compare. No worrying about tomorrow. No more longing for a different day in the future. No need to take a pill or to distract yourself or escape because all you feel is so whole and perfect in every present moment on this earth. Like you think these mountains are amazing now? You think the ocean's amazing now? The starry night sky, man, you have no idea. We have no idea what's coming. And that proves that the best is yet to come. It will always be the restoration of all things is coming and life can be painful and following Jesus is anything but easy. But as Christians saved by grace, we should not have glory days or Uncle Rico syndrome about anything in our past. Those four years in high school, those two victory laps you took in college, those are not your glory days. It is in front of you. New earth is in front of you. The glory season of the church we are trying to return to is actually in in front of us. It really is. And so I, I don't know your story, but I do know that what is to come is greater than what's behind you. I know that what your future holds is so much greater than what your past holds. And the only, the only interest God now has in your past, I'm not sure I'm, who I'm talking to, is redeeming it and using it. Mistakes from your past because of the grace of Jesus are now souvenirs of grace for you to take with you as a testimony and use as you go from here. And, and, and I don't know who I'm talking to, especially now, but I know I was supposed to say this. If you are drowning in addiction right now, whatever kind, like if it's alcohol or drugs or approval addiction, achievement addiction, porn addiction, any kind of addiction, you fill in the blank. I feel like God wanted me to encourage you. In the kingdom of heaven, addiction's actually not a thing. And as we drag the kingdom of heaven here, I promise you there is coming a day. You keep picking yourself up on your feet. You keep repenting. You keep praying. You keep reaching out for help. You keep going to your meetings and watching podcasts and coming to church because I believe, I know there is a day coming sooner than later where addiction will no longer be part of your future and you will tell stories about how you used to be an addict until the grace of God came and did what it does best and how Jesus bridged the gap between the current chapter of your life that you have been reading and rereading and it's tired and it's time to step to the next one because the next chapter is better for everybody, for all of God's children. The best days are in front of you, church, and I know that for a fact, even when you're 90, that will still be true because this right here is how the story ends. Amen. Will you guys stand up at home? Will you stand up? <sighs> so what in the world is going on here? The present world is passing away. 
the kingdom of God is advancing. And I was thinking of it like a tide. The ocean tide comes in and it goes out. And I historically kind of see the kingdom of heaven, high tide into low tide. And I'm not saying this is prophetic. I didn't hear an audible voice from God or anything like that. I just, I feel in my heart like we've been at a low tide in our nation for a while. Especially, man, this year, I'm like, it is so far out. It's what it feels like to me. And not that that's bad. That's a space of lament and prayer and confession and repentance. I grew up around the ocean, though, and here's what I know. Every time the tide goes out, it comes back in stronger. And so if the tide has just gone out farther, it's coming in stronger than it's ever come in before. And I'm telling you, over the next decade, we are going to see things happen. Over the next decade, in all of our cities, Jesus is going to become more and more beautiful to millions, if not billions of people who never in a million years thought that he would. Something is, is awakening, church. The tide is coming in. We are dragging the age to come, the kingdom of heaven into the present age. The Eden that echoes to you is actually not the one behind you, but the one that is right in front of you. So Jesus, oh God, I just, I feel like we need to, God, I feel like there's so many people in our church who just need to feel you. Like tangibly right now, God, for a long time, we have just been living by what we know is true without the feelings. But God, in the name of Jesus, I just ask for your presence and some feelings to rush over the people of Red Rocks Church and soften hearts and reawaken dreams and reawaken souls from the inside out, God, like an ocean. Could we find ourselves, even over the next 15 minutes, swimming and submerged right in the middle of it with your grace and your love all around us, Jesus? Let us feel you and experience you. And as we sing, would the veil between heaven and earth grow even thinner? I pray that we'd be able to hear echoes from heaven and even hear angels crying out how holy you are, God. As we sing, as we worship, we pull the kingdom into the present, not just for ourselves, but for our nation and for our world. Oh God, we love you so much. You are so good to us. Be glorified in our church as the king of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen.